Hey guys, I'm Mark Potter. Welcome to another episode of Brushstrokes, a podcast powered by Canvas Magazine. Guys, today's episode is brought to you by my friends at the Association for Print Technologies. They serve the entire print supply chain, printers, manufacturers, distributors, dealers, consultants, and the end users of print, including brand owners, agencies, and creatives. But more importantly, they're developing communities like EdGage and EdGage Magazine or Wellness Marketer that can help connect you to those verticals. They're doing the work that is required or has been required for a long time to engage communities upstream that you find ripe to sell print to. And so I'm really, really proud of them. I'm proud of the passion that they're bringing to that effort. And I really encourage you to visit them at printtechnologies.org. Now, my conversation today is a really cool one. And I was so glad that we were able to garner this interview with the authors of a new book called The Innovation Delusion. Innovation is the hottest buzzword in business, but if its benefits have been exaggerated and our obsession with finding the next big thing has distracted us from the work that matters most. Bottom line is we're addicted to this idea of innovation speak and the authors Lee Vinsel and Andrew Russell are really remarkable guys. They're both Ed, historians, they're, they're, they work at schools and are historians, but they also have a bit of the philosophy side to themselves. So you're going to love this conversation because it really talks about the addiction to innovation speak and the need for a maintenance mindset. So without further ado, give a listen to my conversation with Lee Vinsel and Andrew Russell, authors of The Innovation Delusion. Hey, um, thanks for taking some time and uh, and talking to me, man. I love your book, guys. I mean, talk about timely and and um, I just right on point. Tell me uh, um, before we jump into this, though. Um, what? Let's see, Lee, you're in Virginia, right? Yeah. And Andy, you're up in and you're in New York. Yep, upstate New York. All right, all right. Uh, how are you both doing? Go for it, Andy. Hanging in there. First week of Zoom kindergarten, and uh, I'm working from home, so every um, every up and down is through the walls to my ears. So um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're getting there. That's good. Well, I'm assuming you're not talking about you in kindergarten. You're talking about your, uh, your child, right? <laughs> very, that's very kind of you to say. <laughs> um, no, I think that's great. That's awesome. Well, I mean, it's a weird, it's certainly a weird environment. And um, actually, that's why I kind of, you know, your book, we'll talk about it, is, is um, so timely how we got here. How about, how about you, Lee? Uh, things are fine for my family. Uh, you know, there's uh, because Virginia Tech came back partly in person, like the COVID cases are spiking here in town pretty hard. But so far, we're, we're mostly able to avoid it. So, right. yeah, it's a weird time. And are you in, uh, are you in, where are you at in Georgia? I'm actually, I'm in Pittsburgh. And so when I saw oh, you, okay. yeah, so when I saw your number, I was like, oh, wow, is he, you know, and so, um, yeah, we moved here a couple years ago, and and um, uh, I grew up in in Erie, Pennsylvania, in a long circuitous way back, 
you know, with my wife in San Francisco, my kids were born in LA and, and we've, uh, kind of been full circle here, but, um, I, both my kids cool. are into hockey. So it's, um, and my team is, is, um, but around kind of around the country. So we started in Atlanta. So I've got people in Atlanta and, and, um, okay. but yeah, so we've been all over the place. So what, where in Pittsburgh? So up in Cranberry. Okay, sure. Yep. Yeah, yeah, booming, booming up here. So, um, yeah. pretty, pretty neat. So, how, now, how did you two? How did you guys get together? How did you meet? We uh, we, we met, met when. In, um... <laughs> go, <laughs> go for it, Andy. Uh, I was in I was in grad school at Hopkins, and Lee was um, looking for uh, places to go to school, and he visited Hopkins. Um, and, and ended up at Carnegie Mellon, but, you know, we met on his visit, uh, became friends and hung out at conferences, um, while we were coming up through the ranks. And then we actually had the chance to work together at Stevens Institute of Technology in Hoboken for, um, uh, oh, a few years. Oh, that's um, and that's neat. where we cooked up this, this maintainers thing. Yeah. So we've both since moved on, but, um, but yeah, we're forever joined. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. And 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 both kind of cut, I mean, obviously have some similar uh, viewpoints, but cut from different molds. I mean, Andy, you're, um, you know, you from what I read, you're obviously uh, a historian, right? Professor of history. And uh, Lee, you're kind of philosophical guy, right? I, I'm actually trained as a, as a historian too. But yeah, I, I guess that's right. I veer a little bit more towards theory and philosophy and i've ended up in a kind of uh interdisciplinary department uh of science technology and society yeah but andy and i are both like standards history nerds you know we write about the history of standards and stuff so we have lots of overlap but it's and it's probably but being uh immersed in history i mean kind of allows you to be a little philosophical right i mean how can you be philosophical if you're not kind of delving into the past a little bit right Totally. I agree with that. Yeah. So, and so tell me about maintainers before we jump in and I, cause I get, you know, I'm super excited to ask you guys about the book, but tell me about the maintainers. Uh, we started the Go group, um, about, about six years ago, um, as a joke, really, um, <laughs> just, you know, we were fed up with innovation speak and, um, so we started, a, uh, we held a conference at Stevens and, it, you know, it, people really responded. There's a lot of people in history of technology and uh, philosophy of technology who, who work on topics like standards and infrastructure that aren't um, as sexy as innovation. And so, um, you know, it just kind of snowballed from there. Um, we're, we're keeping up with community interest a little bit and wanted to keep holding conferences and a mailing list and, and do things that people find useful. So right, right. that's the short version anyway. No, I mean, it's great. And it's great. And so as you've been doing that work and, and had this mindset, I mean, so this, this, this whole idea has been, it sounds like it's been gnawing at you guys for a while and, and that we've, because, and the reason that I find it so compelling is that, you know, we've preached a, a lot about this, that we've, we've fallen prey to whether you call it the addiction to immediate gratification and, and, you know, the next best thing or whatever, but I, I you know, you see it and, and it's funny, you know, you, um, you both have kids and I, you know, I, I really worry. I, I'm really worried about the next generations. I see it in my kids and, and, 
you know, maybe their lack of experiences. Uh, you know, when I grew up, I mean, I was outside climbing trees, doing all that stuff. And, and so it ha- it, it's got, in my opinion, it's got repercussions throughout. And I wonder if that's kind of what gnawed at you guys and maybe the genesis of how you guys said, you know, we got to write this book. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, um, you know, like as Andy said, I mean, Kaner's kind of started off as a joke um, with him kind of riffing on Walter Isaacson's book, The Innovators, um, and saying we should answer it with this book, The Maintainers. <laughs> and I think that we've, you know, the one way I, I often kind of talk about, like, being a steward to the joke or being like, uh, you know, the fellowship of the joke or something like that. But it's like the joke started doing work for us where we just started uncovering more and more worlds of maintenance, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and because we're kind of business um, historians on top of being historians of technology, like, you know, we kind of first started um, looking at business and, and how this works in industry. But then, you know, it opened up other vistas, like how what this looks like um, in, in the home front, you know, or domestic maintenance, uh, being able to repair our stuff and the whole right to repair movement. And I think just connecting one thing that connects all these dots which I, I think is related to what you're saying is just the, the kind of like skills that are being forgotten you know mm-hmm. I think that's just a theme that that plays out across the um, the chapters is just kind of worries about how we're going to pass on this knowledge and, and worries that in, in some cases at least there's like gaps um, there's not enough people kind of having these skills Andy and I you know we try not to go too hard on the skilled gap because some people are like, well, you know, there's not enough work, like work trades workers, but some, there's some research that kind of debunks that. But on the other hand, Andy and I, where we live have both had a really hard time getting um, trained, uh, you know, skilled trades people to come and work on things in our house. So we're aware that in some places it just, you know, there's a real shortage of knowledge. Yeah, and, and, and it's interesting. I, so we've done some work in the past with a group called Skills USA, and I've gone to their big show, and you walk in, and it's, it's um, you know, it, it, it's traditionally what you would look at as trade skills. I mean, everything from uh, body shop work to culinary, and, it, and, it's, and it's remarkable. And, you know, we seem to have glossed over it over the course of time, and I wondered if... Um, that was a frustration. Like you say, you started off as, as a fun thing or as a joke, but the reality is that you've tapped into something that, to me, you know, there's so many people that are speaking about innovation and the next best thing, and that, that translates to everybody's got to be disrupting. You know, we got to disrupt. And, mm-hmm. and and then you think, but but nobody's minding the store. And... and and more importantly, what I want to talk about, because I think one of the things with our industry, so, you know, we, we, my organization, we do a bunch of different publications and a lot of different ish, uh, uh, verticals, but we have the um, printing and marketing services industry. And you think about that. I mean, you, you guys, you know, know this, that, that the innovation of the printing press was a huge deal and it's maintained 
an industry for hundreds of years. And, and yeah. so there's so much pressure for these guys to buy the next thing. What's the next piece of equipment? Then, you know, what's the next innovation in printing? And, and so I wonder in your research and as you were doing this, do you, do you see not just the frustration, but maybe the distracted, are, they, are people distracted? And, and is it making them less productive? Uh, yeah, I think that that thesis is right. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to talk about what kinds of evidence we could um, collar to support it. But intuitively, I think it checks out. You know, if if we only have say forty or sixty hours a week to work, whatever whatever your schedule is, um, you know, if you're spending seventy five percent of your time chasing the new thing, then by definition, um, you're spending less time keeping things going. So, um, something's got to give, you know, it's, it's not a complete zero sum game and there are overlaps, you know, we've tried to introduce some nuance into this innovation maintenance dichotomy, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think we've all experienced it trying to install new software or, or mess around with a new, you know, computer or something and, and days go by when you don't get anything done and, and then the thing ends up not working for you. So. Yeah. Yeah. So being history guys, and I, I know you've done this, when do you think this all, I mean, do you, can you timestamp some stuff? I mean, when this all started to happen, was it, was it when Bill Gates was in his garage or, or, uh, uh, what? <laughs> well, I mean, I think we can, you can look at the, the industrial revolution, like, you know, last 150, 200 years and all the new technologies that were, introduced, you know, especially between, say, 1870 and 1970, as, you know, a moment where you, there really was a lot of technological uh, business and social change going on uh, through the, t around the technologies, at least. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that's important. And during that time, inventors and innovators become really celebrated. Um, and then the other kind of layer to it, I would say, is it's only in the post-World War II period that you really see the word innovation take off. And really only in the, you know, since the 90s that you have the whole kind of panoply of, of buzzwords that kind of surround uh, uh, innovation speak, whether it's, you know, like lean and agile and disruptive and, you know, all these things mm -hmm. people hear a lot. Um and so I, you know, I think that's the, you know, there, there's a couple different layers of the history, but those, are, those are kind of like, there's real change that people took notice, and then there's the development of, of innovation, what we call innovation speak in the post World War II period. Right, and 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 let's let's circle back because I mean, obviously, um, the the core of this this book is the idea of not necessarily using innovation as progress and this whole idea of innovation speak. So, you know, in layman's terms, what, what's the difference here between innovation and innovation speak? I mean, you laid out in the first part of the book, but, um, you know, maybe give us the, uh, the, the high points. I, I think of it, you know, so innovation is the, the act, the process of introducing new things or processes, business, um, uh, practices, what, what have you. So it's actual change. And then innovation speak is the, is the way we've come to talk and think about that. So one, one analogy I like to make is I think 
it's easy for us to realize if we, you know, look at the, like history or philosophy of science to realize that our scientific theories of the world are different than the world itself, you know, and mm-hmm. there's lots of older theories of, of the world that turned out not to be true, right, that have kind of been discarded over time. And so innovation speak is a kind of theory, or actually just not one, but like a basket of, of theories that have developed around business and technology. Uh, and, you know, I think there's pretty good evidence that the theories are often bad and not very representative of the way things actually work. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, it's, it, it's, it's permeated everywhere right so i mean we we at some point we've we've uh we've ingested this idea and and it's dominated so i mean you know going back you you've seen so many companies being and people being a slave to this idea around innovation speak that hey what's the next big thing um and i wonder what the repercussions are in your minds and and what you've seen because obviously you're, you see some neglect in some areas. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it, there's two, two things that jump right to mind. One is it's um, an enormous waste of resources and capital that have gone into um, startups chasing uh, the next great thing or the piece of software that everyone's going to use, um, whatever it is. I mean, I, I think that could be measured in the billions of, if not trillions of dollars, um, the way that that the investment and venture capital systems work, um, of course, there's going to be some some loss and in, in some investments that don't work out. But the amount of the sheer amount of money that's gone into supporting terrible ideas, um, you know, companies like uh, Theranos or you know, we we list a bunch in the book, Juicero, right, right, right. Um, you know, and on and on. Um, that's one part of it. And then the other part is, you know, to go back to the zero sum game, um, you could imagine all that money being spent to, um, for other purposes. Um, I, I think I saw something just the other day on social media that if Jeff Bezos spent, you know, gave everyone a hundred thousand dollars, he'd still have just as much money as he did before the pandemic. Right. And so there's, there's a, like a societal level, uh, resource allocation question that I think really needs to be uh, addressed here. Um, and and in the way that our incentives and culture is aligned, uh, resources go disproportionately towards um, new things, towards flashy things, and uh, and not towards people, communities, and, and technologies that, that really could I think make better use of those resources. Right, right, and 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 so I think that the wasted resources is, is huge, and, and people start to, and they get so uh, black and white with their decisions. You know that that well, we've gotta we've gotta get the new fan, fancy piece of equipment in here, and they throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. In rather than they don't even seem to test the waters like in our industry they'll say oh well you know we got to get the new kind of uh, uh, fancy printing equipment and and but yet you know you still have what you have and let's let's maintain that asset and then let's incubate the business 
for this new piece of equipment. You know, a lot of times they have this mindset, let, let's buy it and then go sell it. But really they need to have, so I'm, that's one of the things that I wanted to ask you guys about today. I mean, it was this whole idea around maintenance mindset versus the um, innovation speak. And not just translating it from the maintaining of your assets and your processes, but also with your client base. Because I think your, your, your book, I, I think it lends itself to that too, right? I mean, if you maintain your relationships, we get so product driven that, have you seen any of that where that, that there's not just neglect um, where you're wasting resources, but in some instances, when you're getting so product driven and so what's next, you start to neglect the client. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I think, you know, Andy and I, um, for a long time, we, maintenance has the the risk of becoming everything, kind of, you know. Right. And so we were always trying to limit it down to like physical stuff, um, just to kind of have a clear definition. And we just found that over and over again that you can't do that. Um, that even firms that have really amazing maintenance programs, it's because they're really good at social maintenance too, not just uh, you know physical maintenance. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, the book is a kind of call for balance and sanity between change and, and, you know, continuing to take care of what you already have. And we should apply that thinking, not just to stuff, but also to human relationships and uh, business practices and all these kind of things that are a bit more abstract. Right. And, and because, you know, um, you guys had talked about, anxiety being kind of the the uh, trigger for innovation and and part of that is is your relationship with the marketplace and and so you you would hope that you're maintaining your business but also listening really well to the clients so that you know innovation is a derivation of that um, let me ask you though because I think you guys talk a little bit about this in terms of we also think about innovation as so techy, um, and so maybe you can comment a little bit on that because uh, you know somebody would come to our industry and they would think, oh, you know, the printing industry is, is not so innovative, but it it really is. I mean, you walk in and you see some amazing stuff, but innovation could be innovation in a business model. It could be, uh, you know, it's not. We get we're addicted to this tech. Oh, we got to solve everything with the with with computers and data but it's so much m more than that isn't it yeah you're going uh you know you're you're identifying something that um that lee alluded to earlier when he was talking about the you know baskets of of, of ideas and theories that people use and um a lot of people, when they talk about innovation, go back to Joseph Schumpeter, the economist um, mm -hmm. who, who wrote in the early part of the 20th century. And he talked about five forms of innovation. And um, even though, like you said, it's the gadget today that gets a lot of the attention, um, his five forms of innovation included um, new services, methods of production, um, new markets, um, new methods of organizing a firm or even an industry. And so, 
you know, people who, who are faithfully reading this, this gospel of innovation should know better. They mm-hmm. should know that it's not just about the gadget, but that uh, innovation can happen from, it has a number of different sources and applications, um, and it's not just for uh, startups or entrepreneurs. You know, there's a big literature on innovation, uh, social innovation, or um, educational innovations, you know. So it's not just about making a gadget that you can sell for, for a huge markup. Mm-hmm. Right. You're right. Exactly. And, you know, and I don't think that you guys, and I want to, you know, ask you a little bit about the, your advice for people and, and talk a little bit more about the maintenance mindset and what's encompassed in there. But before that, um, you're not saying we shouldn't be innovating because, and because I remember, I went, I remember back in the day I, I worked for a dot com and you know, that whole, um, bubble. I mean, you, you talk about the bubble in the book and, and you know, that bubble burst and, and in the moment, maybe, it, it wasn't fruitful, but over the course of time, right? Once you got through kind of the the trough of delu- delusionment, it, 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 disillusion, it, it it ultimately got immersed into commerce in general, and so um, there was some good there. So, but you're saying, you know, you got to kind of flip the script here and start thinking from a maintenance standpoint. So you're not saying, hey, innovation is bad. You're saying there's just a different way to go about it, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, balance, I think, is our key term, you know. Because, you know, one of the examples we use in the uh, book as a kind of super crazy example is General Electric trying to model itself on Silicon Valley startup companies, um, including having, like, internal startup incubators and stuff like that and then you know i when i give talks about this stuff i have that new york times article when they were kind of trying that out and then you know two years later it's like a new york times article of their stock just being absolutely in the garbage um and so yeah um you know i mean i think that that's the kind of craziness that comes when we you know like a mature industry and firm that's been around for 126 years or 27 years or something like at this point models itself on, you know, on this kind of hype driven innovation. And that's not, you know, it's not to say general electric shouldn't innovate. Um, they've been, they've been innovating in different ways for that whole history. And in fact, they're doing some really interesting uh, innovation and maintenance these days. It's just, you know, let's be realistic and kind of more grounded when we're, when we're, thinking about our way forward. Right, right. And so tell me about the, the as, as you move forward and, and you're encouraging people to not only take on a maintenance mindset, but but um, kind of embrace the what you call the maintainers. Tell me what's great about them. Tell me a little bit about who they are. And then, and maybe um, you can split this up and, and, and give me, give us some advice on making that mindset shift because there's clearly, uh, you know, some work to be done there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can take the first part. Uh, I think, you know, it, it comes down to a, a sense of decency at a certain level, um, right. that and just good manners that, <laughs> that people who do maintenance work, um, you know, whether it's service jobs or uh, 
mechanics or or nurses um, just to be kind to people. You know, <laughs> very very basic interpersonal skills that. Uh, that we should learn when we're young. Yeah, we could um, use that overall part of right now, right? You know, everybody yeah. can handle that. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, and the work is dignified work. We don't need to transform um, maintainers into heroes. Some of them are heroes and should be recognized and paid as such. Right. Um, and we're getting some of that in this essential workers um, conversation that's been unfolding over the past few months. You yeah. know, I think people are seeing maintainers in a different light after yeah. the pandemic right and after 9-11 in fact you know first responders as maintainers of, of safety and order right um but we you know but the majority of them aren't heroes um the majority are are just people um like like the three of us who are uh trying to trying to you know go to work do a good job take pleasure out of doing a good job and supporting their families or, or trying to work to improve themselves and to make things better, you know, for their kids or their grandkids or, or themselves, whatever it might be. Um, so, that, you know, there's a basic human decency there that that I apparently, you know, people need to be reminded about that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's sad that we do. And and. But, and that's, again, that's why I loved it and, and, and wanted to share it with, um, you know, some of our clients because it's... Um, you know, you guys talk, and I know you're 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 you've delved into the tactical and and you know the work worker, if you will. But it's it you, you know even by this conversation, you can tell that it touches on a much bigger deal. And you're right. I was I was at the uh, the car dealership the other day. I was getting a battery replaced, and and they they were so nice. And I thought, my God, it resonated. And I and I walked away thinking to myself. It's kind of sad, right? That that I, I I felt so good about that and, and almost had a warm feeling about it in this day and age. And but um, but yeah, I think that's really really well put. How about the second part, Lee? You know, advice. You know, think about this this readership. We've got a, a broad range of of everywhere from you know your basic printer to uh, marketing service providers, but. It, it, there's a lot of technology. There's a lot of equipment. There's a lot of assets, factories, if you will, in this in this industry, and they are they have been browbeaten with what's the next thing, and and they all get really stressed about okay, I've got to be investing in the right stuff. And um, what's your advice to them to to make this this shift, this mind shift? I'm actually going to punt over to Andy because he's the one who kind of nicely formulated the maintenance mindset. So okay. I, I feel like it would be a shame not to give him the stage. You get the assist. That's cool. <laughs> um, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm laughing in part because um, Lee and I joked at, at several steps about how we're trying not to write a self-help book here. Right. Um, but I, I, But it does kind of verge into that territory as you said sometimes because of the applicability of the ideas um and there are a couple chapters um about how the the individuals are, are kind of implicated here and and one of our friends the designer juliana castro um has made these great little cards that say make sure to maintain thyself right. um, and so you know th there's a there's an element of self-care here that that we shouldn't overlook and you know it's not something to be 
joked about, um, even if we're not writing a, you know, self-help book here. Right, right, right. Um, but you know, the, the, the short version of how people who are, who are reading or listening can apply the maintenance mindset in their industry, I think starts first with, um, getting some facts and data, um, because that is, seems to be the language that everyone can speak. Um, so whether it's, you know, data about how uh, maintenance of equipment generates a huge return on investment, which it does, um, or, or prolongs um, the lifetime of equipment or how uptime um, enhances the bottom line, you know, those numbers are, are really important for communication. Mm-hmm. Um, then the second step is about um, leadership and a culture um, and a tone um, not only that respects maintenance and maintainers, but that, um, you know, leaders should take the opportunity to link maintenance and care to some of their other goals. And so in the book, we talk about um, companies that link maintenance to positive environmental outcomes. Um, you know, this environmental sustainability is all about maintenance and, and conservation. So, and there are others, you know, but that's just one example. Right. Um, and I'm sure that's evident in the printing industry. hundred percent. hundred percent. And then the third is um, to, to, you know, indulge creativity and to take advantage of, of new technologies, not for their own sake, not to buy stuff for the sake of buying the new, machine like you were saying before but um you know there's a lot of interesting things coming out whether it's technologies or approaches or ways of organizing a team and um and the worst thing someone could do i think is just to keep things to to think that we're recommending you keep things the way that they are right you know we're not we're not saying be a reactionary um we're saying uh, look at the values that you think are important and the services that you think are important and find ways to maintain and sustain those things. And in a lot of cases, that could mean um, shaking things up or doing something different or um, using a new piece of software to, to keep things organized or to help your team communicate. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think that's great. And I love, I mean, you know, look, I mean, it is a little bit of a self-help. I mean, it's a, it's because it's, it's really practical knowledge and there's, um, and I think it's, it, it's a, a reminder to say, you know, you got to this place. I think it's interesting that you're both historians and because, you know, it's, it's taking care of your history. It's not throwing that away. It's in, and, and respecting that and how you got here and maintaining that and, and like I said, not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You know, before I let you guys go and I'm, I'll ask you guys to do a little shameless plug, but I, I um, at the end of the book, you, you, um, you know, we've been talking mostly about business, but, but you also talk a little bit about the, the, our private lives. And um, so your thoughts on that, because I mean, Look, these are we're all individuals working in these businesses. So, because um, you talk about maintenance in, in in people's private lives as well. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, building on kind of what Andy was saying, a theme that runs throughout throughout the book is um, kind of short termism or short term thinking versus long term thinking. Right. And I think that there's there's so much pressure in business to be focused on short term gains and growth so often. And you know we end up neglecting um, kind of deeper uh, 
in like regular practices. And I think we see the same thing at home, you know, um, and we talked to a, a guy who does like home inspections for when people are buying new houses. And he just talks about like, you know, people would rather go to Disney world than, uh, you know, maintain their roof or, uh, take care of their HVAC system or whatever. Um, and so I think that there's, you know, a call in the book, just like thinking through the real practicalities of how we can get um, better at, at maintaining uh, the things in our lives, taking care of ourselves and our families. And, um, and yeah, it, you know, the irony is uh, Andy and I have, have learned from the business and nonprofit world to actually like borrow uh, you know, certain things, ways of doing things like having uh, weekly meetings as families and stuff like that um, yeah. to kind of get better at, at maintenance at home. Andy, what else do you want to add? Uh, yeah, I think that, you know, the where you started there about uh, short-term thinking and long-term thinking is right. And, you know, to, to circle back to something we were talking about before is really the trust intuitions and personal experience um you know we these things are common sense when it comes to things like diet and exercise or sleep um and so that that's one i think pretty handy way into thinking about these issues which can get pretty complicated is to think about you know your own life and your own experience and what's important there and what happens when you um when you don't pay attention to to taking care of yourself yeah, I mean, it really is. I mean, and, you know, you guys, you talk about, you know, the infrastructure in the country, whether it's, you know, roads, that kind of stuff. I mean, it, it, it the analogies are all there. And, and I think that's why this book is important. I think it's timely. I mean, we're in this moment of stepping back and, and rethinking. We've, everybody's got a little bit of the time to, to kind of recalibrate. And part of that recalibration is to say, you know, um, I don't need to be chasing the next best thing or the next big thing. And, and that's why um, I was so excited to have you guys talk about it. And I, and I think it's really, really, um, it's really, really cool. All right. Let me, so um, I just, I can't thank you guys enough for doing this, but I, um, how can they get the book? Um, is it, is it on Amazon now? It is. Yeah. Yep. Um, and you can also search for the Innovation Delusion and uh, Penguin Random House's page for the book offers a bunch of different vendors uh, that you can buy the book through. All right, cool. Yeah. What uh, and then what's next for you guys? Any any more collaborative stuff? I think Lee, you're doing. I saw on your website, are you doing some book on automotive industry? Yeah, that book came out last summer. I just did, haven't updated that part of my. Uh, my website yet i i need to do some maintenance there sadly. you need to do some um, so you're damn right you gotta do some maintenance on that you know <laughs> i was yeah. gonna ask you because you got the i mean it's a great image of the old car up against the tree and everything so um but um so what's next for you guys i mean what you know you're obviously uh, trying to push through the pandemic and do some teaching but um what's uh what's on the, the other uh, thing is we're still working with a, we have a, a group called the maintainers it's People can find us via themaintainers.org. Yeah. And uh, we have an email list. People can get involved. Um, and we're always looking to get conversations going about how to improve maintenance practices in different industries and different parts of our lives. Oh, that's great. Well, that's great. Well, we've got a ripe uh, you know, community and, and 
that would probably want to take advantage of that. And, and uh, so um, you'll probably be getting some some people some pinging you. So um, listen, I, I like I said, I, I was thrilled to have you guys. I, uh, and I'm hopefully we can stay in touch. And I know that um, I've talked to uh, Christine about uh, ordering some of the books and getting them out to my clients because I think it's such an important message. And uh, you guys should be really, really proud of this because I think it's such a timely deal and, and uh, so important because we've got to change our minds a little bit. So I really appreciate you guys doing it. Well, thank you for this conversation. We, it's uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, this is a great conversation. We really appreciate your enthusiasm and support. We're you know so happy. You write a book, you, you never quite know who's going to read it or how it's going to land. So um, that it was meaningful for you is, um, you know, makes my day. Yeah, that's, it's been great. It's great. Well, listen, you make sure, um, good luck with kindergarten zoom. I don't know. Kindergarten. On Z- <laughs> Thank you. That's gotta be tough. Kindergarten on zoom. I mean, that's gotta be, uh, Holy smokes. How do you do blocks and stuff? Uh, on I don't I mean, think it's, <laughs> I don't think it's going to end well. Um, you know, the way that, that we do it is, is uh, my wife is, uh, is, you know, her master's is in uh, teaching K through six. So she's right by my daughter's side um, that's great. and not getting paid for it. That's right. That's <laughs> you right. Know, but, but that's how we do it. Yeah, I, that's great. Well, listen, be, you guys be safe. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll stay in touch. Okay. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. All right, boys. Thanks. Take care. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Andrew and Lee and think that you will attest to the fact that The Innovation Delusion is a timely book. It's a timely message. We can no longer fall prey to the constancy of innovation speak, disruption speak. We need to embrace a maintenance mindset. We need to acknowledge the heroes that help us maintain our businesses, everything from our processes to our equipment to our clients. And we're not saying throw away innovation, but clearly having a maintenance mindset is a big deal and enables you to be more inventive. So my thanks to Lee and Andrew, great job. Really, really enjoyed the conversation. My thanks to the Association for Print Technologies. They're a great partner, great sponsor. Remember, they serve the entire print supply chain, but most importantly, the work they're doing around things like EdGage, Wellness Marketer, and the verticals and creating those communities that can engage, that you guys can engage with, is huge. Visit them at printtechnologies.org, and my thanks to them. My thanks to all of you for listening. I really appreciate it. I know, again, we're in a confusing time, and I'm proud that we're able to continue to bring you some thoughtful content, maybe giving you pause and a chance to think, and that's what we need. We need to be very, very thoughtful right now and creative. So, I'm, I'm really appreciative of that opportunity. I respect it wholeheartedly. I wish you guys nothing but the best. And as always, be the buffalo. Take care.